right, make sure that you get those announcements down so that you can be involved. We have a special privilege today of Pastor Jordan, who's one of our pastoral staff members here at the gate, who's going to be bringing the word to us today. Would we just give him a warm welcome, let him know how much we love Pastor Jordan. Everybody doing all right this morning? Sorry, I feel like the sun is right here. The lights are so bright. I'm used to being down the front row. I feel like I can't hardly see anyone. It's so good to see each and every one of you this morning. On behalf of Bishop and Pastor Kathy, I just want to say thank you for joining us. It's a true honor and a privilege for me to be able to speak to you today. And before I get in, I just want to give honor to the pastors, the bishops, of our house, and I want to tell you why, is that uh, I am a part of their family, um, but I don't get brownie points uh, at Christmas for giving honor, so that's not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because I believe in it, and I believe it's true. Your pastors are not perfect people, but I will tell you why I trust them and why I choose to follow them, is because they trust the Lord. And when the chips are down and we don't know what to do, they hit their knees and they pray. And I've watched them for years now. They pray for you. They pray for me. They pray for themselves. They seek the face of the Lord. And I don't know about you, but those are the kind of people that I want to walk with and that I trust. And so will you guys help me give honor to Bishop and Pastor Kathy this morning for being true leaders of this house they are amazing wonderful people yes just in case you're wondering pastor kathy i wear eight and a half so lucchese ostrich boots at christmas will be just right Pastor Kathy Rock, she's a rock star at Christmas, just in case you didn't know. So that's sort of like an inside family joke there. She's an absolute rock star at Christmas. So if you have your Bibles with you today, you can open up to the book of Matthew chapter 11. We're going to begin reading in verse 20. We're going to read approximately 10 verses. If you, didn't have your, if you don't have your Bibles with you this morning, our media team, I think, is going to hopefully be able to help us out. They'll have the scripture behind me here. If you're ready to read, say amen. Amen. Chapter 11, verse 20. This is speaking of Jesus. Then he, Jesus, began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. 
And for you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus answered and said, so he was addressing the crowd and now Jesus is addressing his father in prayer. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, and you have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray just briefly. Lord, I ask that you help me to communicate clearly and to continue on what you've already begun in this service today. Lord, I pray that you help me to communicate your heart and your principles. And Lord, I put my faith and trust in you and your faithfulness to your word and that you will cause your word to have an effect in people's hearts and in people's minds. My eyes are on you and our hearts are focused on you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Amen and amen. I love technology, don't you? Holy moly. Got all these wonderful notes right here. So, a few things that we want to look at this morning from this passage of Scripture. We're just going to move through it point by point. I encourage you to get out your handy-dandy notebook and a pen or pencil or get your phone out so you can take some notes. You don't remember what you had for breakfast two days ago, most of you. And I want you to remember what the Lord is trying to say to us, okay? You didn't write down what you had for breakfast, so you don't remember it. You just ate it. Right? But we need to write down some stuff today because that's how I remember things. If I don't write it down, forget about it. It's gone. Okay, so Jesus begins this passage addressing cities. I want to give us a little context for what it is that he's trying to say. So just before the passage where we've read... Jesus has sent out his disciples on an evangelistic missionary mission to the cities uh, and the villages on the north slope of the Sea of Galilee. And before he sends them out, he addresses them about some practical things that they should do as they come and go in the cities and how they share the message of the gospel. And he also gives them some warnings so he tells his disciples, when you go to preach in these cities and villages, some people will receive you and some will not. They will reject what you tell them. Okay, so it's very important that we understand this is the train of thought that Jesus is in as he's speaking in the passage that we have read as well. 
He's trying to get people to see and understand that people in the world have different ways of thinking and doing life. And when you come to bring them the gospel, some will receive it, but some will reject it. And so he warns them and prepares them. And he says, when they reject the gospel, they reject me. And if they reject me, they reject the one who sent me. And so dust your feet off and keep going, if and that be the case. And so it's about that time that some disciples from John the Baptist arrive. John the Baptist was accomplishing his mission, preaching the gospel that the Messiah is coming and he's here. He was a controversial guy. John the Baptist didn't take water from anybody. In fact, he stood his ground so strongly on some of the political issues of the day he found himself in prison because of it. John's rotting in prison and he hears about the gospel going forth and all the mighty works that Jesus was doing in this area north of the Sea of Galilee. And so as John the Baptist is wrestling with this idea of how is the Messiah out doing all these wonderful things and I'm still locked in jail. So he sends some of his guys to go find Jesus and ask, are you really the one? Because I don't understand how you're the Messiah and I'm the one who's paving the way for you and I'm locked in jail and you're out running around doing miracles. And so Jesus addresses John the Baptist's followers. He defends John the Baptist and says he's a, he's a good man, he's doing the right thing. But he continues to address this idea, pleading with the people to get them to see and understand the reason why John the Baptist is in jail instead of being celebrated is because not everyone's going to accept the message of the gospel. And so he finishes addressing John the Baptist's disciples. He has his guys there with him. He has other followers there with him. I've been to where they believe the exact spot is that he made this address in Israel. So he's sort of addressing people on the hillside there. Sea of Galilee behind him. So he pivots from addressing the crowd and he begins to address the cities. And he says, woe to you. Now I don't know what kind of church that you grew up in. But the kind of church that I grew up in, when God or Jesus says, woe to you, it wasn't like, oh, woe to you, petting a little lamb. It was like, woe to you, you bunch of heathen sinners. Here comes the fire and the brimstone, baby. So when I read woe to you, I start looking around, waiting for a lightning bolt or a fireball. <laughs> And I actually read a commentary where a guy was insinuating that when Jesus looked at the cities and said, woe to you, that he was having a temper tantrum. Jesus didn't have temper tantrums, y'all. Let, let me help you out. Jesus didn't have temper tantrums, okay? Because he didn't, he didn't fulfill the lust of the flesh getting torn up by the circumstances that he was facing because they tried to murder him and he just walked away. So having temper tantrums, sending lightning bolts and balls of fire is not consistent with Jesus' behavior. So if Jesus is not saying, woe to you, center cities, woe to you, Las Vegas. If he's not saying that, what is he saying? 
So for Jesus, a woe is a warning. A woe is a warning. So here's some things that we need to understand. People who really love you will risk you being offended by them in order to help you. Let me say that again. I'm helping somebody right there. I may be, maybe nobody in here, maybe somebody online. If that's you online, you just give me a big wave and no one will know it's you. So when someone really loves you, they will risk you being offended with them in order to help you. And so Jesus is like a doctor in this sense, that he is addressing these cities. And he sees how there is this contention that's coming against the gospel. And there are people who refuse to hear it, and they refuse to accept it. And he recognizes the cities where I've been preaching and where I've been doing miracles. They haven't accepted it. And so he's giving voice saying, hey, if you don't get on board with what God is doing here, things are not going to go well for you. Because the way you're going will not produce the result that you're hoping for. So a woe is a warning. What does that mean for us? I grew up in a traditional Pentecostal background that had strong roots in holiness. Okay? Uh, does everybody know what that means? If you don't, quick, just quick. Uh, bowling alleys, straight to hell. Movie theaters, double straight to hell. I mean, just no, no deliberating. They just stamp your name in the hell column up in the... There's the Lamb's Book of Life, and them's the people that went to church Sunday, Sunday twice, Monday night, for a prayer service, Wednesday night teaching service, Thursday night band practice, Saturday night youth service, and we start again on Sunday. Lamb's Book of Life, movie theater, straight to hell. <laughs> Women didn't wear makeup, they didn't wear pants, and they didn't wear earrings, because I actually heard them called devil stirrups. That means the devil just put one foot in one and one foot in another, and he, and he was in control of your brain. <laughs> so that's how I grew up, old school holiness. And so it was very easy for us to identify those folk in society down, out, down off the mountain, down towards Atlanta. They were the ones who were, who were living in lust and greed, and they'd stab and kill each other for $5. Well, if in that be the case, it's easy to see that the enemy's having his way. But let me tell you something. That's not what the enemy specializes in. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. And so think about it. If you're a deceiver, your best work is a counterfeit. What's a counterfeit? It's something that you think is the real thing, but it's really not. Josh Jones preaches a great sermon about Dr. Thunder versus Dr. Pepper. You think it's the real thing, but it ain't. Look at your neighbor and tell him and say, it ain't the same thing. And so what do we have to do? We have to be careful that as the Lord is moving in our midst, that we don't become comfortable living a good life thinking that everything's all right when maybe it's not. So we don't get rewarded for good, we get rewarded for God. Which one are we producing in our lives? Are things at home good, or is God there? 
You know what I'm talking about. There's some people's house that you go over to and you walk in the door and everything looks right and the candles are lit and everything's clean, but you go around the corner in the kitchen and the wife's eyebrow is sort of doing like this a little bit. And that means 30 seconds before you got there, they were in a mad rush to get everything ready and they's hollering and screaming. She's hollering at her husband, get in there and get them kids. And then you walk in, hey, it's so good to see y'all. They do the country curtsy. Just because it's good doesn't mean it's God. There's some people's home I've been to. There's a stain on the floor. The kids are hollering in the backyard. But you go in and you feel peace because they have God. So my challenge to us today is to become prayerful and ask ourselves, do I have good or do I have God? Because I believe the people in these cities believed they had God, but they were only good. How's that feel? Y'all okay? Don't look around. Nobody will know that's you. You was doing that on the car, in the car on the way here, hollering and screaming. Don't look around. Nobody will know it's you. It's okay. So here's a quote. You're going to want to write this down. The gospel is God's way. And when we go against the grain of the universe... We're bound to get splinters. When we go against the grain of the universe, we're bound to get splinters. And so this is why Jesus wants us to accept Him and the gospel with total abandonment. is because He doesn't want us to get the splinters and the difficulties that will come when we go in a way that's contrary to His way. Does everybody feel okay? Okay. So here we go. We're going on to point number two. So we're going to talk about the wise and the prudent versus babes. Okay, so Jesus, as he is addressing his father, he lays out this idea that people are rejecting the gospel because they refuse to change the way they think and do things. He tells the father, you are revealing the truth of what is going on, the truth of what I'm doing. You reveal it to babes but you've hidden it from the wise and the prudent. So it may be a bit confusing because we read that and we think, well, I thought the Lord wants me to be wise. What he's saying is people who see themselves as wise and prudent. People who are like babes or like children, that's who God reveals himself to. So the issue of whether or not you see God is not due to exterior circumstances. It has to do with how you see yourself. And see, this is great because that's a choice you are in control of. So if you see yourself like a child, a child knows what? I need somebody to feed me, somebody to give me something to drink, somebody to help me with my clothes, and somebody to teach me how the world works. My kids are six and seven. And we're in the question phase. Why? Why? How come? How many? Which one's bigger? Which one's stronger? Which one's faster? And sometimes it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. But here's what they know, is I need someone to tell me. And I wonder which one you may be this morning. So here in America, the land of the free, home of the brave, the land of independence, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, 
Those are great and wonderful things. High five to my American patriot brother in the back that felt that right there. (laughs) Here is a negative that comes from that mindset if we're not careful. Is that I can have anything I want and be anything I want if I go for it. That's not bad in and of itself, but it's when we begin to take total ownership and control of our life and we get a little bit of success and then we start to think, I've got this figured out. I have this under control. I know what I'm doing. Stay out of my way. That is not the way of God's kingdom. We cannot be people who we see ourselves as high and lifted up People who say, we know everything that should be going on. I know everything that should be happening in Washington. I know everything that should be happening in all the cities of America. I know everything that should be happening in Oklahoma City. I know everything that should be happening in the Canadian County School District. God bless them all. I know everything that should be happening. If they would just listen to me, I could set it straight. That is not Jesus' way. Jesus' way says when we come against the obstacles and the questions of life, we have to humble ourselves and seek after Him. So Jesus said, I've re- the Father has revealed it to babes. Look at your neighbor and tell him, say, He must have been talking about you. <laughs> the Lord done revealed you some things, girl, because you a babe. Wives, look at your husband and say, yes, he has, Daddy Bear. Yes, he has. (laughs) Glory. So we're in this contention. We're grappling in our minds and in our souls, which way will we live? And Jesus says the first step is humility. The Bible says that nothing good comes from pride. And so if this speaker right here is pride, here's what some of us tend to do. I want to be comfortable doing things the way I've been doing them just as long as I'm not prideful. So we get as close as we can get as long as we don't touch it. But here's the secret to humility, is that if this is pride, I want to be as far away from it as I can get. And if something starts to pull me back to it, even if I'm way over here, I go, "Mm mm-mm, nope. Not toying with that because the second that I start to become lifted up in pride, my successes, my money, my marriage, whatever your thing is, it can name it, it can be anything. But the second that I get close to that pride, my life starts to take a turn. Does that feel okay? All right, everybody's comfortable? Okay, good, because I care about your feelings very, very much. So we take this path of humility. The reward of humility is that we get to see the Lord and be a part of what He's doing. And so Jesus addresses the crowd. He's laying out some things here. I'm not taking tons of time to dissect each and every part of it for you. But He says, when you come to Me, all you who are heavy laden and all you who are burdened down, come to Me and I will give you Rest. Bryce, would you come sit in my seat for me? 
So there's something that I want to tell each and every one of you this morning. So I was taught once again as a young kid, our theological outlook was that when we came to the Lord, we came giving a sacrifice. And that's true. But we came and we gave, but it was almost like God is this powerful King and Lord and He may get to you if and He has time. But if He needs you to suffer, then you just suffer. And that God wasn't really a father. That was not taught to me the way I was brought up. I don't know about you. But he was king and lord, and most of the time he was busy somewhere else is how it seemed. But this scripture, Jesus is trying to target that idea. And that when we run to God, it's not just about what we bring, even though we do bring ourselves as a sacrifice. But here's what Jesus says. When you're burdened down and you're heavy laden, just come to me and I will give you. I want to tell somebody this morning. You may be grappling with this idea of who God is and what His motivations are. What is He up to? Let me help you. He doesn't want something from you. He wants to give you something. He wants to give you something. There was not conditions on what Jesus said. He didn't say if you sell everything or you know if you if you repent for everything you've done for 45 years then we can talk. No, he said just come and I will give. So here's why the path of humility is so important. Bryce, if you'll stand up for me for just a second. This is the throne of your life. Whoever sits in it is in charge and gets the final say about how you think, how you feel, how you choose, how you process, how you look at life, how you feel about things. Whoever sits in this chair gets to decide. But whoever sits in this chair has to have the answers as well. And so most of us do this. We'll come to, we'll come to God on Sunday and we'll get close to Him, but we never get up out of this chair because we're the ones who we're God and King of our life. Now beware. You can sit in this chair, and as you're ruling and presiding over your life, things will come and things will go, and here's what we'll say. That don't make sense. It doesn't make sense that when I'm wore out and frustrated and I wish I had a little more money and Pastor Kathy gets up and starts talking about we just need to say the name of Jesus, that don't make sense. You sit right in your little throne chair right here. And guess what? God's a gentleman. So God's going to stand there and it breaks His heart. But He's going to let you sit in the throne of your life as long as you want to. Doing it your way. But now here's the kicker, baby. If you sit in the chair, you've got to wear the crown. And when the weight of life comes against us, you better hope that your choices and your mindsets and your paradigms and your decisions can carry the weight of life. And so your decisions and paradigms may work good when you're down on the job site. But what happens when you come home and your wife's a wreck and things are not going so good? Do your paradigms hold up then? What happens when your children come and say, Dad, I got into something that I can't get out of? What do you do then? Can you handle the weight? Can you be king? Let me help you with something. You may be sitting on the throne and things have been good so far, but I promise you there will come a day 
where the circumstances of life comes against you, and when you're sitting in the throne, it's going to shake, and guess what? Humpty Dumpty, you're going to fall off the wall, and all the king's horses and all the king's men won't be able to put you back together again. And so we have to make the decision that says, you know what? I can't give myself rest. I can't give myself peace. I can't give myself strength. I can't give myself joy. I can't bless myself. I need somebody on the throne of my life who that they can. And so we have to make a decision, friends, that when we're facing all the things that we're facing in life, that we lay down how we feel and we recognize I have a need. I need somebody in my life who can get me through this. I need God and I need Him on the throne. And when I come, all I have to do is just come and say, here I am. Here I am. Here I am. And then He gives. 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 And then He gives some more. When He does take, He takes our filth and our dirt and our messes and our pride. And oh, the ugly, ugly pride. He takes that stuff from our life. He says, I'll take that, but then I'll give you something better. Does that feel all right? I don't know who you are today, but there's some of us needs to put God back where He belongs in our life. And so I need to be fair. God is our Father. He loves us unconditionally. But now this is just Jordan. What I've been praying, I've been addressing the Lord and Jesus as Master. 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 If he says stop, stop. If he says go, go. If he says give, give. If he says go to the left, go to the left. If he says repent, we repentant. If he says forgive, I'm going to forgive. Whatever he says do, master, I will do it. Because when he's my master and when he's my shepherd, he leads me. And he meets my needs. Because when I go through life, how we're going through life right now, I don't have the answers. But the Master does. And so we need Him to be Master. And so I wonder, what areas of your life do we need to put the Master back in His seat, back in His place? I wonder. I can't speak for you. I can speak for myself. Every, every area of my life, I want Him to be the King and Ruler, Master and Father to me. Because I want Him to give and to pour out into my life. Thank you, Bryce. Now, did you notice that, Emily? Bryce on the throne right there. He, don't, he wanted me to mention that to you before we started. And I told him I would, and so I did. I keep my word. So here's some things that we need to understand. When we come to Jesus and He gives us rest, most of us, you know, we have this Midwestern American work ethic where, man, we are after it all the time. Hard workers. Hard, hard workers. And so we, it can be difficult for us to grapple with this reality of that as Americans, we maybe take two weeks a year vacation. Other parts of the world, they take a month. Well, that's where them French people live, and we all know how they are. We just don't do things that way. We're Americans. We work. 
You know what I'm talking about. When we get carried away, we forget to rest. It's important for us to understand that from rest is where we do our best work, our most effective work, our most meaningful work. It's where I have my best relationships is from a place of rest. I don't give my wife my best when my brain is in a tiz and the wheels from the day can't stop spinning because I'm carrying the weight of my life. I need to be at rest with the Lord on the throne, calling the shots, being who I'm supposed to be so that I can give my best to my job, my boss, my coworkers, my pastor, my church, my kids, my wife. We got all these people and they need our best. And we do that from a place of rest. But now here we have to grapple with something. It's difficult for us to go to God on the throne if we don't trust Him. Because when I'm in charge and I'm in control, there's a certain false confidence that comes. We don't have to be uncomfortable if we don't want to be when we're in charge. But if you put God on the throne and you have to trust Him, <laughs> it's going to get uncomfortable at some point. All right, let me try over here. If you have God on the throne of your life, it's going to get uncomfortable at some point. For instance, Jesus and the disciples had great church revival weekend. They're out on the boat going to the next location. Jesus in the bottom of the boat sleeping like a baby. And guess what? All the hell's fury is raging up on the top deck with a storm blowing, and the boys are panicking. They're like, if Jesus don't get up and do something, we're going to die. Jesus like, all right. So he gets up, and he goes up there, peace be still. Y'all calm down. Goes back to bed. He tells the boys on his way down, if y'all had any faith, y'all would have handled this, and I could have kept having my nap. So not only did he have to come stop the storm and save your life, he could have give you a little jab on the way down. Say, where's your faith at, Peter? Right? It's going to get uncomfortable. Here's another thing about rest. When we're at rest, not only do we do our best work, but that's where God does His best work. You can't do open heart surgery on a dude running a marathon. When we're going to do work on you, we've got to lay you down. We're going to give you a little needle. Count backwards from ten. Best sleep of your life. Because we got to have you being still, because when we're doing the real intricate work, we don't need you moving around and messing it up. Now, I know some people, and I'm not thinking about my sister-in-law, Amanda, but they're very, very smart people. <laughs> and so if and we was doing heart surgery on some people, they'd be looking down, their heart's open, and they'd be saying, no, doctor, right here. Not over here, over here. And the doctor's like, lay down and hush and let me do what I know how to do. We have to... Listen, coronavirus was devastating for us in a lot of ways. We trusted the Lord to turn it into a blessing at the Roberts house. And we used the slowdown and the disconnect to really seek the Lord and say, Lord, bring rest. Bring rest from the busyness. Because you can get spun up doing the right thing. And we had to go into rest and say, God, what do you need to do in us during this time? 
So we can't preach and we can't usher and we can't security and we can't video. We, got to, we can't do any of those things. Lord, what are you doing? Bring us to a place of rest, Lord. And what are you wanting to do in us during a time of rest? And so that's where God does his best work. So let me tell you what God's really up to. Ezekiel 36 and 25 says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from, your, from, I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and you will move and follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. What's God saying through Ezekiel to us? Is that when we get going in life, it's not just about busy, that can be a factor, but when we get going in life, we start picking up idols. We start doing things, we get dirty, we get tired, we get exhausted, and I can't help but wonder, are there any of us in here today that if you slow down just a minute and think about it, that might be you. And you're saying, I've been carrying the mindset of Bethsaida and Cherizan and Capernaum. I've been carrying these things. I've been running through life. My hair's on fire trying to keep my marriage together and make a buck all at the same time and not let my kids die of starvation. I've been doing all these things and I'm burdened down and I'm heavy and I'm dealing with what the news is telling me and I'm, I'm dealing with what's happening on my street and I'm trying to deal with layoffs at work. I'm trying to deal with all this and I'm burdened and I'm heavy laden and I feel dirty and I feel bogged down and Jesus is saying stop doing that let me be king come I'll give you rest and I'll cleanse you and then he'll do something you can never do on your own I'll take out that stony heart and I'll give you one of flesh because here's what happens when we're king of our life and we're going and we're going and we're going and we're trying to fight all of our own battles we get hard you didn't catch it. We get hard. Okay? And I think sometimes we think that's a good thing. And so when I was a young man, just the things I grappled with, one of my heroes was Rambo. Because that dude was hard. We got to say where I'm from, he's hard as woodpecker lips. It's all right, you can laugh, it's funny. You have to think about it a second. Go Now, is that wrong? He was hard, dude. So what happened? He just wanted something to eat. Sheriff gives him a rough time and roughs him up. And so Rambo takes his knife, and he goes into the woods, and he says, I'll kill every one of y'all, and I'll burn the town down because you wouldn't let me have my cheeseburger. He's a hard dude, right? So I was like, I'm going to be like that dude because he gets through life all by himself. And you have no idea, I did that for so long. I just wanted to be hard. Nothing affected me, nothing could rattle me. Steady. But I tried to do that. Well, then I have a meltdown. Because that's not real. You can't carry and face the weight and battles of life alone. So one day, the Lord tells me to watch the movie. Sounds crazy, Lord telling you to watch Rambo. 
but I did. comes right down to the end, and I'm like, it's a great movie, Lord, but I don't see it. And the Lord reminds me, if you haven't seen it, it's fine, don't go watch it. But at the end of the movie, this guy who's so hard, what happens? His friend comes into the sheriff's station. He's barricaded himself. He's about to have a shootout and go down in a blaze of glory. And his friend comes in and tells him, this is over. He turns around and looks and says, nothing is over. <laughs> nothing. Nothing is over. I could recite the lines, but I'm not going to. But then what happens to Rambo? He starts to pour out all of his struggles from the Vietnam War and the losses and the pains. And his buddy saying, I, I just want to live. I just want to go home. And he start, all this starts pouring out of Rambo. And then he just gets a hold of his friend, the colonel, and cries like a baby. And the Lord said to me, even Rambo needs a friend. You ain't Rambo. And even if you was, you still need a friend. You need Jesus. Jesus is your Colonel Troutman. You need somebody to come in and tell you, don't go out like this. Don't go out like this. There's a way you can make it. It's not over. Don't give up. Don't fight this battle alone. I wonder who the Lord's speaking to today, saying, don't keep fighting the way you've been fighting. Last and final point. Y'all about ready to eat fried chicken? Raising Cane's is going to have my order ready for me in about 10 minutes, so we're going to have to wrap it up. <clears throat> so, Jesus tells us, He makes all this comparison wants us to trust Him and let Him be Lord of our life. Let Him to set the course and the pace of our life. He wants to give us His rest. Things that we can't produce on our own. And then He makes this wonderful, beautiful, rich comparison where He says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so what He's inferring what he's implying when he says, my yoke is easy, he's implying that the people in those cities that I named, they have a way of doing things, a way of thinking, a way of living. And it's like a yoke. And he says, all you who are heavy laden, come. So he's inferring that when you're living life like that, the yoke that you're carrying every day is heavy. But if you'll come to me, I'll give you rest, and you can take on my yoke, and my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And so here's something that we need to understand, is that they had a practice in their day, the Agarian society, so they would plow with oxen. So we know a yoke goes around the neck, and that's what the farmer would use to control the oxen, make them plow, and then turn them around and go back the other way. And so they would take an old, mature oxen and they would yoke him to a young, inexperienced, full of vim and vigor oxen. The young guy, we all know, uh, you ever heard uh, headstrong? Well, that word actually references livestock. A young bull who's strong and powerful and he thinks he's got the world by the tail. And he does things his own way. So we take that bull, that oxen, and we hook him to one who's been broken. 
Thomas got that. Let me help y'all over here. We take the guy who's headstrong and we hook him to someone who's been broken. And so what happens? When you hook the young bull to the bull who's meek and lowly, y'all going to put it together here in a minute. I'm just helping you out a little bit. You hook the young bull to the one that's meek and lowly. And here's what happens. The one who's meek and lowly, the headstrongness, the pridefulness of the young bull don't rub off on him. It doesn't affect him because I've been broken and I learned that that way don't work. And so what does... Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of you had that crazy Pentecostal auntie who did at church. Boy, Bobby Penn's flying everywhere when it comes time to preaching or singing. But at the house, she's calm and she was still. But when you come in talking about all your problems and how you're... Uh, 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 and she'd be like, now let's pray. And she would pray, and you might walk away not knowing what happened. You might have had demons cast out or cast in. I don't know. I mean, you know how them aunties get... But you felt you left and something changed. Because she had learned through her life that when we come against things in life, we go to the Lord. Because she had been broken by life, and so you coming in a mess didn't faze her. So Jesus wants to be like that for us. Because guess what? There is work to do. There is a burden. There are things to be done. But he says, when you yoke to me, it's not just something I put on you and then send you on your way. He says, no, I'm the meek and lowly older brother that I have been broken. And I've got the yoke, the yoke on my neck and I want you to just come and put it on with me. And if you'll walk with me, what I've got on me will wear off on you. Because you want to stomp and run and hurry and get it done, that's not going to phase me. So when you want to go fast, if you're going too fast, I'm going to make you slow down. And when you're tired and weary, I'm going to pull you along with some of my strength. When you want to get distracted by a squirrel over to the left, say, nope, got to keep going straight ahead. Nope, you didn't catch it. When you get distracted by wanting to go get the new promotion or you get distracted by the little new girl at work, guess what? He says, nope, nope, keep going over here, buddy. Because he wants to walk with you. And as we walk with Him, every day in the mud, plowing's ugly. It's messy. Anybody ever plowed before? A few of us? Some of us? I never plowed. My dad did. I know all them stories. But I helped my grandmother with a tiller. I've done that. This muddy, muddy work. You don't leave from a day of plowing with clean shoes and clothes. How do you know the life's that way? You don't go through life and not get dirty. This doesn't. You don't do anything meaningful with the work of your life and walk away and you're clean and just it's not real. And Jesus knows this. Guess what? Walking every day with Jesus ain't always pretty. It ain't always easy. But here's the thing. David said, "Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere." And so what we're going to have to really get on board with is recognizing that here a move of God is not Pentecostal lightning bolts and fireballs and people running. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all for it. A move of God begins when people say, Jesus, I'll be yoked to you. Nothing more, 
nothing less. I'll be yoked to you. I'll walk beside you. And if you walk, I walk. If you stop, I stop. You go left, I go left. You go right, I go right. Whatever you're doing, Lord, I'm going to do it. And so if you want me to plow the same old patch of ground that granddaddy plowed and his granddaddy plowed, or if you want me to go over here and plow up a new patch of ground down on 63rd Street, Lord, whatever you're doing, that's what I'm going to do because I'm yoked to you. And when I get tired, I'm going to rely on you. That's how a move of God begins, is when people just say, I'll take on the yoke that Jesus has. And now we're about to make it real. Farm analogies aside, Jesus had a yoke. Do you know what his yoke was? The cross. That was his burden. And so what he did for us was he did the heavy lifting. He gave this right here so that we wouldn't have to. And what he's saying is, is I did the hard, part, the hard part for you. I let the Romans and the Jews murder me. I paid the price for you to make the yoke easy and the burden light. And so when you come to plow with me, you get the benefits. You don't have to pay the price. There's somebody out there today, you hadn't wanted the yoke because you like to be the boss. And Jesus is saying, I need you to come and get in my yoke with me so that I can give you all the benefits of the things that I paid for. Luke 9 and 23 says this, Then he, Jesus, said to them all, Anyone who desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What does that mean? Every day I get up and I put on my yoke with Jesus. The same yoke that he carried. And what is that? Giving my life away. What does that mean? That means I forgive. I repent. I give out of my pocket. I stand, I pray with people. I stand with people. I pray for the right things. That's giving up my life. If he says stay, I stay. Go, go. That's giving up your life. Just like he gave up his life to the cross. We give up our life to His cross as well. Ephesians 1, 18 and 20 says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. The riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people and His incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at the right hand of the Father in heavenly realms. What in the world is Paul saying? He is saying this, that when you take on the yoke of Jesus, you let Him be God and you let Him be King and you quit running around trying to do it your way. You let Him be who He's supposed to be and then you meek and lowly like Jesus say, I'll take the yoke. Here's what happens. You're so much more than an ox. You become a son or a daughter. And in the eyes of God, all of the universe looks and says, look at them right there. They're taking up the same cross and the same yoke that Jesus took up. And when we do that, we're not an ox or an animal. We're a son or a daughter. And so we take on the glory of everything that Jesus died to give us. 
and the world will see us and the universe and the angels and they look and they go, hey, look down there. There's some people who are choosing of their own free will. They see that Jesus is King. They see that His way is the way and it's the only way. And guess what? That's when the angels go around the Father saying, holy, 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 because they're pointing at us and they're saying, look, they took on the yoke and they're giving away everything that they hold dear and taking up Jesus' way. And you can succeed because He has, God has ensured your decision. What do I mean? Jesus took on the cross even to death. I love it. It says that he, the power He exerted. Exerted means He flexed. I like to think about God flexing. Now we're about to go a little old school. Satan was in hell having a party. Jesus is dead. Jesus is dead. And then God went, mm, and he hit him with the big guns. And Jesus got up. He got up. When all the weight of life had crushed him, the weight of our sin had crushed him. The weight of our iniquity had crushed him. He was dead in the ground, baby mama. But guess what? God went, huh, and he flexed on him. And the power of the Lord hit Jesus' body, and he got up. So what does that mean? When we're yoked to him, we get the glory and the same power that got Jesus up out of the grave becomes alive on the inside of me. And I go into my job, and I go into my marriage, and I go into the situations of life with God's power alive on the inside of me. And when I look at the world, I don't know about you, when I look at the world, when I'm in my prayer time, I'm saying, God, we need you. God, we need you. Bad. What comes up in me? I think about that what we need are people, men and women, young and old, who they've got that power on the inside of them, that power that got Jesus up out of the ground. We need that alive on the inside of us. And we need to take it into our world. Does that feel okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a lovely little song on the keyboard. And I want you to stand up. Amanda's going to come wherever she is. She's going to give us some instructions here. We're almost done. Here's all I want you to do. I'm going to pray for you. I just want you to bow your head. And so for us to have access to that same power that got Jesus up out of the ground, our very first step is one of humility that says, Lord, I choose to become like a child and put you back on the throne of my life. Some of us have done that in varying degrees. And so you may be a rock star on your job, but you may be struggling at home. You know, last week we prayed for people that had been dealing with being angry. Man, I've been there. Man, I'm telling you, I've been there. So I don't know what the deal is. You may be facing things like that. You may be facing anger, depression, anxiety. Those are not just attitudes. You may be even dealing with things in your chemistry, in your biology that you're fighting against. The very first step to having a breakthrough in any area of your life 
is saying, God, I need you on the throne of my life. So here's what we're going to do. Every eye closed, every head bowed. I don't want anybody looking around. I'm going to pray really loud so you can be really quiet. But if that's you here today and you say, there's a part of my life where I need God back on the throne. There's an area of my life where I need to humble myself. Just very quietly, you just say, Lord, that's me. Lord, that's me. You see the area. You see my heart. You see the things I can't see. Lord, I've been going the way of the wayward cities. I've been doing things in my own power. But Lord, I see it and I recognize it. And here's all you have to say is, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry. I want you on the throne. If that's you, you just say that. Lord, I want you on the throne of my life. I want you to be Lord and King. So let's all pray this together, church. You just pray along with me for a moment. Now, we're praying to the Lord. Lord, we want you to come and be Lord of our lives. Be Lord, be Lord of my body. Be Lord of my mind, how I think, how I feel. So, Lord, if I'm watching the news and I start thinking things that are not how you think, Lord, assert yourself and be king. I give you permission to help me think how you think. Lord, if I'm going through life and I feel things that that's not how you feel, Lord, I give you permission to convict my heart because I want you to be king of my heart. Lord, be king of our marriages. Lord, be king of our relationships with our children. Lord, I need your help. Be good daddy. So, Lord, you help me come be king. Lord, help us on our job. Help us as we deal with schools, Lord, and all the craziness that we're having to deal with. Lord, help us. Lord, help me with my neighbors and my community. Lord, help me to speak as you would speak and to trust in you. Lord, be king of my pocketbook. And then when you say give, I'll give. When, I say, when you say save, I save. Lord, be king of every area of our life. And here's our closing prayer. Lord, come be king and our king of our church. This church, our wonderful, lovely church that we love so much. Lord, we've been working and, and, and diligently seeking you to put you on the throne of this church. And Lord, we say stay right there. Lord, don't go anywhere. Lord, be king of this church and let your power and your love and your life flow from this place. And it will be like an anchor in our lives that you keep us grounded to you. Lord, be king of our church. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.